All right. <clears throat> Let's pause for a second and say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, your light has shone in our darkness. Grant that we always might behold the glory of your face. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Okay, just a couple of announcements, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, first of all, Money in the Baskets is today going to go towards the Russians. So put lots of money in there and help them out. Um, here's a question for you. Did, you. did you get a postcard from Pastor Brzezik in the mail this week? Yes. Wonderful. That is a astounding response. Fantastic. As you know, um, so pay attention to those postcards as they come. They'll come through Lent um, towards Easter. You may, uh, hopefully you've heard this by now, but sort of Palm Sunday and Easter, that's the culmination of um, everything that's going on in this capital campaign. We, we're, it's, we're headed in that direction. It's just around the corner. In fact, this is the other thing to note. Um, Ash Wednesday is this week, so we have the Eucharist on Wednesday morning at 740. Uh, there's a service for children. At what time is the service for children? 840. 840 to 905. And at each of these services, an opportunity for ashes, 7 o'clock in the evening, Ash Wednesday. And this takes us then into Lent. Pastor Brzezik asked me to remind you just to sort of think about, as we head into Lent, think about the things we've talked about um, in terms of discipline, in terms of fasting especially. The, it's, an, it's an appropriate thing to sort of take stock at this moment in the church year and, um, and see what you can do to struggle towards disciplining your bodies, to disciplining your lives as Christians. Um, and, and, you know, as we say farewell to the Alleluia today, um, we're really sort of, as a church, entering into this fast together. So, so take stock of that. Think about that. If you need help, if you have questions, please, please, please don't hesitate to ask one of the pastors. This is, after all, what we're here for. Okay? Um, is there anything else we need to say? Anything else going on today? We had men's retreat on Friday and Saturday. Thanks to everybody who came. It was a great crowd. What was the number, John? Do you remember? It was like 80 on, on Friday. Yeah, it was just fantastic. It's really nice. And it's especially nice, as you know, when, when you bring your friends, because we have a chance to get to know people and to welcome them along. So um, thanks for that. Thanks, John, for coordinating all the logistics and the bacon on Saturday morning. <laughs> that uh, makes everybody very happy. Anything else? Okay, so now, uh, for those of you who are at the men's retreat, you've already heard this introduction, but it is, again, my pleasure today to introduce you to Pastor Adam Kuntz, um, a classmate of mine. He graduated the same year that I did from the seminary. He's a pastor now in southeastern Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, as they identify places in Pennsylvania by county. I know this is unfamiliar to you, um, unless you're from there. So Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, he also, in the course of his time there, has planted a congregation in the county to the north, Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. Um, there's a sh there aren't many Lutherans over there in Pennsylvania, and so he's doing good work. He's also, to add to the mix, uh, a doctoral candidate at Temple University in both New Testament and patristics. He's writing on Paul, um, and he has a wonderful family who we've been privileged to, to have with us this weekend. I don't know if any of his family is here in this room right now. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, yeah, we're trying to distribute all the kids to Sunday school appropriately. Um, so, Adam's going to, Pastor Kuntz is going to teach us uh, some wonderful things about Paul today. Give him your attention. Here you go. Thank you. Um, we're going to open up in 1 Corinthians 4, if you guys want to turn there, and I'll fumble with my mic while you're doing that. Is that, um, does that work for everybody? Am I loud enough? All right. Um, what we're going to talk about today is uh, 
something that I have never seen covered. Um, I have not taught this Bible study anywhere else except my own parish. Um, and I've never seen a book by a Lutheran about it. In fact, there are not, just not that many books or articles about it. These are the passages, and I think they're really kind of crucial uh, for the mission of the church and for passing the faith on, which is why I care about them, where Paul says, imitate me. He does that first in 1 Corinthians 4. Um, let's think about this just before we go into the text. Does it sound arrogant to you to say, imitate me? Right? Um, you're going to hear a lot about humility, presumably, over the next 40-odd days, 43 days. Um, if I said, um, imitate me, um, give, me some, give me some arrogant ways to say, imitate me. Who's the guy that says, imitate me, do what I'm doing um, in an arrogant way? Let's, let's do the bad stuff first. Okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking that your reflexive, you know, thing is, I, that, that sounds kind of, you know, he's kind of high on his horse. Imitate me. We're not thinking about Paul. We're thinking about life, okay? Imitate me. Can't you do anything right? Can't you do anything right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, we call, we call this person, we call this person a know-it-all. Yeah? Okay. Or a knower-better in German, a besserwisser. Yeah. Okay. What else? What else do we call this person? We have names for these people, don't we? Conceited. Yeah. So he's 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 he has this he has this idea. That's what a conceit is. He has this idea that the world is a certain way, and he knows what that way is, and he's here to tell you. Aren't you fortunate? He's here to tell you what that way is. Conceited. What else? narcissistic. He's talking to you so that he can look at his reflection as, as the wisdom that he's giving forth dawns upon your face and he can be, that, that, that glow of recognition coming from you, he can feel that and look at that and he feels better about himself. Right? A narcissist is going through life, looking at other people solely for the purpose of seeing how they look at him. Right? Do Christians ever come off as conceited or arrogant to non-Christians. Well, you're all murmuring, but what I, what, I, what I want is an articulate, out loud answer. Anybody? Yes. You want to give me more? How and why do we come off that way? Because we think we're right. Because we think we're right. And being right is one of the worst things that you can be in many cases. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Back. Making an assertion that they're the truth. Yeah. That's right. That's not, that's not true for me. And we even encounter this with other Christians. I think if you're, if you're a Lutheran, you encounter this with other Christians because we sort of have a larger range of things that we're certain about. So we even have this with other Christians, let alone non-Christians, right? You'll say to another Christian, right, but like the Bible says this about baptism. And they're like, yeah, that's not essential, right? So don't be rude about it. What else? How else can we? Yes. Virtue signaling. Let me show you how much I, how much I know. And okay. And that's an interesting thing because I cannot virtue signal as a Christian on the East Coast. I can't do that. It doesn't work. That's an interesting kind of culture-dependent thing, and you have to know that if you're trying to 
bring people along. You have to know what do they care about. Um, if I tell people, which I, I, don't, I don't volunteer this information right away when I meet people at Temple in Philadelphia, I don't say, hi, I'm a pastor from a conservative Lutheran denomination. I, <laughs> I, I think that you need to be baptized. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't lead off with that one. I'm happy to tell them that eventually, but I'm not going to not going to lead off there because it's not going to get me anything. It's not going to get me anywhere with them. Anything, anything else, the way Christians appear to people, conceited, arrogant, no else, judgmental, or as the kids like to say, judgy. Judgy. Yeah, don't be judgy with me. Or even when we're just happy with where we're at. Yeah. Is that a, that's a problem too? It, it, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Culturally, it, it's seen as an insult if you're just Oh, contentment. Yeah. So if you say, like, I grew up in this church, and I believe what this church teaches, and I'm happy to go there, it's like, why don't, what's wrong? Like, don't you, don't, don't you like thinking, you know? Don't you want to expand your mind? Okay. What are some positive ways? Now, this is, this is kind of a, a parent's, grandparent's question. What are some positive ways that you can say, imitate me? Or have you ever had to say, do what I'm doing? Or even, echoing Jesus, follow me. What, what are the situations in which we say those kind of things? Go ahead. Learn from my mistakes. That's a safe, that's safe. Um, that's good, that's good, and that's safe. Paul doesn't say that. So, you can say that, you can say that. I'm trying to get somebody to say what Paul says. I'm seeing if anybody wants to say that. Go ahead. When they don't know how to do something, if you just say, okay, well, just do what I do, and you take them through step. Okay, if they don't know what they're doing, right? So, um, you know, if you're trying to teach your daughter how to sew, right, so that she doesn't end up with, like, holes in her fingers, you're going to be like, do what I'm doing. And nobody's insulted by that. That's not, like, a bad thing to say. Other examples? But I don't want to lose my kids in the parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, it all gets very stern and real in the parking lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If it matters, I would say if it really matters, we're still comfortable, democratic as we are, trying to be non-offensive as we are, we're still comfortable saying, do what I'm doing, if it matters. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I did not grow up near Philadelphia. Everybody in central Pennsylvania gets a gun when you're born. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) When my dad taught me how to shoot, he didn't say... Well, however you feel you want to do this, you know, that's, that's good with me. So we know that in certain situations, it's still culturally okay to say, imitate me. And in fact, we do, and it's normal and very natural. Let's look at what Paul says. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21. All right. Paul says, I am not writing this to make you ashamed. See that disclaimer? I'm not writing this to make you ashamed. I'm communicating to you that what I'm going to say, which is going to be a little hard at first, is for your good. If the person believes that this is not for his good, he's not going to listen. Because it's going to be kind of hard. You're training somebody to do something he doesn't already know how to do. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For, th- for though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, 
you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There's a relationship that has been created between the person who preaches and the person who hears, which is special, right? When you guys come through the handshake line or when you address me today, you call me and have called me pastor. But that's different from your pastors. That's different. The relationship here is different. Paul's saying there are many people from whom you can learn about Christ, and that's a good thing. And Paul's not envious of that thing. But the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians is something different from any old person who could teach them more about Jesus. So notice that the relationship in which imitation takes place is a long-standing and close relationship. It's not a formal thing. It's not a bureaucratic thing. It's not a I'm pulling rank thing. Right? Like your dad doesn't have to pull rank on you. He, he has rank by virtue of existence, right? Okay, that's the way this works. I became your father through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. Now, he says that, and then you say, and this is a question that when we were talking about Christians running well at the men's retreat Friday, Saturday, uh, this was a question that came up, and it was a good question. What does that actually look like? Okay, so if I say imitate me, and then you say how, think about Paul's congregations. Corinth um, was a city that was a Greek city. It was then destroyed by the Romans when the Romans began to take over uh, what they called the East, right? What the Greeks called the center of the world. It all depends on your perspective. It was destroyed. It was then rebuilt as a Roman colony, and then it flourished because it's in a really good place to trade things. Okay. And so the people there, um, there are some Jews, but it, it's, it's not a very Jewish place. So it's pretty far from the kind of ethnic enclaves in which Paul grew up. And he goes there, and the question is, as you know from reading Acts, as you know from other of Paul's letters, especially Galatians, the question is, he goes out on mission to new places, right? The question always is, what do we have to do and what do we not have to do? Now, I've encountered this with planting a mission church, is that, and it's super mundane. It's super mundane stuff in my case, but it's like, do we have to do things that we're only doing at my, at my kind of established parish because we have musical resources, right? Like, do we have to have a sung service every time, which everyone's used to, but we, don't always, we can't always find a musician? That's super mundane. It gets bigger with Paul, and it gets bigger when you go cross-culturally or even across different parts of the United States. When you say, do you have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian? That's Paul's question. Or a lot of times in our denomination, it's do you have to be like kind of our, our heartland places in order to be LCMS? Can we do this? Like, can we be LCMS in ways that are translatable? Is that possible? That's the basic question you're always asking as a missionary. Because if you actually care about people, you don't want to force them. I mean, it's kind of like how you think about your children. You don't want to make things super hard for them. I mean, is this room full of, full of disciplinarians and, and, and martinets and authoritarians? Probably not. I mean, you don't, you don't like, if, 
Did you make your kids take piano lessons? Does anybody do that? I know you do. Yeah, I know you. Okay. You make your kids take piano lessons? Did you add tuba on top of that? Anybody add tuba on top of that? Anybody add harpsichord on top of that? You're not going to... You're not necessarily going to do that because you don't want to make things hard. So when you're bringing somebody in, not just from another Christian church, but from nothing, what are you going to ask them? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's where the imitation question gets really important. Think about it this way. Paul never stays at a congregation very long. Does anybody, you have like a, Anybody have an average estimate on how long Paul was anywhere or the longest he was ever anywhere? Three years? Yeah. That was the longest. If you averaged it all up, it might be pretty incredibly short. So he is leaving behind this practice and he's saying to them, when I am gone, imitate me. When I am gone, imitate me. Be imitators of me, he writes through a letter. What do I need you to do even when I'm not there? See how he does that. Let's look at verse 17. For this reason I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus as I teach them everywhere in every church. You see that? He can go anywhere And he can say that you have to do this. I teach them everywhere in every church. What do you think those ways are in Christ Jesus? What would you you say that that includes? His ways in Christ Jesus. Love. Love. Okay. That's a good, what's that? The sacraments. So we're thinking certain practices and the doctrines attached to them. Okay, and those are, those are both love and the Eucharist are obviously both in 1 Corinthians later on. Go ahead. Turning away from sinful practices. Turning away from sinful practices. In Corinth, that's going to include a lot of things involving marriage and how I relate to my pagan neighbors. Because I can't do everything that I used to do with them like I used to do. I just can't. What else would it include? What do you think? Prayer. Prayer, Okay. To the, but only to the true God. So you're, you're, there's, there's more kind of, I'm asking you to give something up stuff here. I'm asking you to fast permanently from praying to false gods. What else? Alms. Alms. Okay. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to ask them to give to the poor, even to the poor who don't like them, right? Think about where Paul asked people to send their money, right? I'm sure you guys have met the Russians. The Russians are great people. Think about sending your money to people who kind of hate you. Think about that. Because Paul is going to ask all of his churches to collect money to send it to the Jerusalem church. And the Jerusalem church is like the squeaky wheel. Okay? The Jerusalem church says, wow, I'm really glad that you guys are doing all this great stuff. You know, that's really nice. We're just going to come check on you. Okay? And we're going to come check on you. And we're going to make sure that you're doing things, you know, not just well, but the way that we want to do them. And that's Acts chapter 15. That's, this, that's, that's when you have the meeting to deal with the squeaky wheel. And there's a famine in Jerusalem, and they send money, tons of stuff, to the squeaky wheel to make sure that those Christians, irritating as they are, don't starve. Okay? That's, that's, that's where they're going to be sending alms. 
I think that's really comprehensive, and I like that you guys didn't just give answers about Paul's doctrines, okay? Because that's part of it. That's always part of it. That's part of the sacraments. But what Paul criticizes is not just, you know, you must not understand what's going on here. He does. But he says, if you knew what's going on here, you would behave in a certain way and you wouldn't eat separately when you, when you have the Eucharist. You wouldn't leave one another apart and you wouldn't dishonor the poor for the sake of the wealthy if you understood what was happening here. Right? So his ways in Christ Jesus always include doctrine and practice. In fact, they're not like separable. Right? I can't say, well, I got all the doctrines. It's not going to work. If you just need all the doctrines, do you need to send a guy to remind them? I don't think so. I think you could just send a letter. Or better yet, you could send a book. Or now you could just send a file. And I just download the file, and I make sure that everybody reads the file, and then we all know the stuff. But he sends Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. This is all personal But some of you, thinking that I am not coming to you, have become arrogant. That's kind of a nice rhetorical move, isn't it? Because he might be accused of arrogance, so he's going to say, I'm worried that you guys might be arrogant. Okay? Paul is the funniest person in the New Testament. Okay? He really is. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. If there's no difference really between doctrine and practice, there is a constant difference between talk and power, or as John says it in 1 John, word and deed, right? Little children, let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth, So um, in in the blowhard, in the actually arrogant, there's always going to be a difference between talk and power. What if the person who's talking yet has no power behind those words, is telling you to imitate me. How are you thinking of that as the person who's supposed to be learning from the guy where there's this big difference? What are are you thinking? They're a hypocrite. Do I want to grow up to follow a hypocrite? No. And it's the easiest and first thing that you see. You know, as you kind of become an adult, that's, that's like one of the first things that you see is hypocrisy. You're like, wildly aware of it at a certain age. Kids are kind of the hardest people to fool because they haven't learned the games that adults learn, right? (laughs) Like, they haven't learned yet how to fake it when, like, you haven't done the reading, you know? (laughs) They don't know that yet. So you're just like, did you do the reading? And they're like, no, I, you know. You don't want to follow a hypocrite. So Paul says, when I come, I'm going to find out who is basically just blowing hot air. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. What would you prefer? And this is the men's retreat. These guys love this verse. Am I to come to you with a stick or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Okay. Um, Those are the options. Okay, what kind, of, what kind of dad is Paul to this congregation? <laughs> Does he sound like a sitcom dad? What do I mean by a sitcom dad? Does anybody, is anybody picking up on my brainwaves here? What do I mean by a sitcom dad? I'm not thinking Archie Bunker. Set Archie Bunker aside. 
all the dads since then on TV. Okay. He's sort of setting them up for the right answer, right? It's kind of like, well, you know, should I, should I show up and be a nice guy, or do you want me to bring a... You got two options, right? You got two options. Sitcom dad would say, um, you know, um, he might say this, but then when he comes, even if he needs to bring the rod, he's going to say, well, I love you guys. I mean, you know, the rod is a joke. Paul's not actually joking. Okay. And I don't think he's literally going to beat them, but he's going to tell them what needs to happen. And that's actually most of the letter. I mean, a lot of the stuff in 1 Corinthians is sort of obscure simply because the issues are not ones that we usually deal with. Like, what do I do with meat sacrificed to idols? But the reason he's dealing with all this stuff is because he loves them, he's covering it. Because he loves them, he's going to correct them. Not to correct them would be not to love them. So a dad that doesn't do that isn't really showing the love that he should show. Now, if this is saying be imitators of me, then what's happening throughout the congregation is that people are being formed in this image, in this kind of way of doing things. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, right at the end of that chapter, at the beginning of chapter 11. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10 into 11. Because he says it again. He says in 1033, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. Tell me about becoming a parent. Tell me about what not seeking my own advantage has looked like for you guys. What has not seeking my own advantage meant? What do you forego for sleep? I I feel that. I feel that one. What else? No more choice in movies. movies. And you've watched the same movie. Yeah. Exactly. No more money. money. (laughs) Okay. Your children, yeah, right? Your children are the Jerusalem church. They yell at you. You still send the money, right? Okay. Okay. What else? What else are you? What, What is not your own advantage? What is not your own advantage? Somebody did money, so we're all just like, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Time. Time. Yeah, your time is just so not your own. Is that, but you can actually say that to your kids one day, right? If you haven't already, like, you can say to them, maybe when they have their own children, like, this is how you do this. And what you notice, if you've ever reflected on your own life, right? is that you end up doing things the way your parents did. So one of your takeaways from today is imitation is unavoidable. It's completely unavoidable. It simply happens. The thing that Paul is doing is to make the thing that happens anyway intentional and fruitful rather than unintentional and destructive. Imitation is going to happen. The question is, what is it going to be like? So he says, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. This is kind of the end of his whole rhetorical crescendo when he says, I became as a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greeks. He's saying, like, basically, this is how I have run my life since Christ took hold of me. I've run my life in this way so that I seek the advantage of those who need to hear the gospel. That's what I've been about 
since then, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's imitating Christ in not seeking his own advantage. He's imitating Christ in seeking to spread the good news to the nations. Concretely, that looks like a lot of the stuff that we already talked about. But what he's doing is he's saying, I learned it from Jesus. You've learned it from me. Here's the thing. It's always been personal. Now, I know Paul wasn't one of the 12, but Paul did meet the risen Jesus. I learned it from Jesus. You learned it from me. We've been reflecting this way of Christ, my ways in Christ, to one another down through the generations. It was going to happen in the image of Adam. It was going to happen in the image of sin, right? It was going to happen like, this is how my parents fight. But instead, it's happening in the ways of Christ and of righteousness. This is how we seek peace with one another. Stop me if you guys have heard all this before. Because the thing that, the thing that I noticed when I started to study this was that it was literally everywhere. And that is what most doctoral students think about their subject. It is everywhere. Everything is about Chemnitz or Paul or something. But I'm telling you, it actually is in this case, okay? That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> because what I have seen everywhere is people imitating other people and people learning things from other people. And I think a lot of, you know, this is, this is one of the one of the most interesting things that you find is that a lot of times when somebody is... Um, is a very motivated Christian, is very sacrificial, very loving, um, you're going to find a story there. You're going to find, I think, a lot of knowledge in a lot of those folks. But you're always going to find a story. And the story is always going to be about people. Always. No matter how many books they've read, the story is going to be about people who impacted them. So you can, you can think of like, you know, the smartest, right? The smartest theologians, they had a pastor that impacted them. You can think about Paul. And we talked about this at the retreat. He had somebody who baptized him, right? He's, he's not a Christian without those things. He has a guy who appears and disappears quickly in the book of Acts, baptized Paul, brought him into the church. Be imitators of me. Let's go to Ephesians 5. We've been talking a lot about kids. If you want to talk about marriage, this is your chance. Ephesians 5 is the, is the big marriage chapter. We're not going there today. I'm not going there. You guys can go there. I'll just sit back. Do I? How much time do I have? Quarter till. Whoa. All right. All right. I'm used to, I just, I like gas off for an hour at home, you know. It's like, okay. All right. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. And here's what that looks like. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is kind of a, this is a, kind of a cool reference of Paul's to, to incense because incense, with the pleasing smell that it has, incense signifies the sacrificial offering that both Christ and his Christians, his little Christ, that's what Christianoi means in Greek, little Christ, what Christ and all the little Christ, this is the kind of sacrifice that they make with their lives. 
So the call to imitation is a call not just to be intentional, but most of all, and most obviously, to be sacrificial. We usually talk about that in terms of giving, and that's good. But it's a, it's a motto for Paul for really the fact that you are a Christian. A Christian is sacrificial simply because Christ is sacrificial. These are Paul's, these are your ways in Christ. Um, anything you want to say about incense? You've got a biblical theology of incense you want to offer anywhere else. I don't know if you've thought about that, but the things that we do in worship are tied not just to the worship service and what's going on there. They're tied to all of life. Right? The whole thing comes out of the worship. And in that way, the things that you see in worship signify for you what all the other minutes that you spend outside of worship are about. For you, that's, that's sacrifice. In the interest of time, let's do um, Philippians 3. Philippians 3, uh, at the end of that chapter, going into verse 1 of chapter 4. So the very end of chapter 3 in Philippians. Is it scary to you guys that imitation is unavoidable? Is that a frightening thought for anybody? I don't know about, I mean, I'm fully confident that everything I do in front of my children is, is like just the best, and so it's going to be great. Anybody else share my confidence? <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe not. What's that? The unspoken confidence. Unspoken confidence, okay. We have a lot of silently confident people in this room. <laughs> that you're going to screw up, yeah. It's tough to realize both that you're a sinner and that you're a sinner whom someone will imitate. That is, that is a lot to deal with. I think one way that Paul deals with this, and you're going to see this in a second, one way that he deals with this is simply by, by talking about the people who are listening to him in the best possible way and being as honest as possible about himself. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I reflected on this one time when I came back from a, I was, it, was a, it was a very depressing Lenten sermon in the seminary chapel. And I had, been, I had been talked about like I was the worst person in the world by the preacher. I mean, me and everyone else in the chapel. And I reflect on the fact that Paul never calls Christian, I mean, it's true, right? But he never addresses them sinners, comma. He never says you sinners. But he calls himself a sinner. Now, he knows that they're sinners. I mean, he's the sin guy. He's the original sin guy. Read Romans 5. He's not, this guy is not, you know, doesn't have his head in the clouds. Like, everybody's just wonderful. But he doesn't talk to them like they are destined to do the worst possible thing. He talks to them like people who are being trained to do the best possible things with the resources that they have, with what God has given them. He talks about himself very honestly. He says, I, the foremost, the chief of sinners. But he talks about those whom he calls to imitate him in the best possible way. I think you know this, honestly, if you've ever coached sports or taught somebody how to do something that was sort of intricate. Because in those walks of life, we're fine with the idea that we've messed up and we can be honest about that. Like, I didn't always know how to, how to hit a baseball, but now I do and I'm going to teach you. We're fine with that. 
Paul's saying that our spiritual lives really aren't any different. In fact, our lives, let's just say it that way, our lives in Christ aren't any different. Let's look at Philippians 3. Brothers, join in imitating me. This is verse 17. Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. That's Paul and the people who write with him from captivity and the people that they've seen. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. He's speaking about false teachers who have come in and messed up the congregation. It happens a lot to Paul. I guess when you're always moving around, there's a chance that somebody's going to move in after you. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. And he's talking about not just what they teach, but how they live. He says, you can look at how they live and you can see that it's wrong. It's not that hard. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, our lowly, sacrificial way of life. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. It's a great transfiguration point. What's seen at the transfiguration is what you are transformed into in your resurrection, right? That we may be with the king in his glory. Beautiful thing from the collect of the day for today. By the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and and long for, my joy and crown. You hear the warmth of the language? Again, he's not just sending down like a memo, right? And uh, this is obligatory office space reference, is that the problem with TPS reports in office space is that um, they are sent down and nobody knows what TPS stands for. And um, they're sent down by a boss who doesn't care about you. Now, he's always asking you to do things, but you know, he doesn't even really know who you are. He might not even be sure about what your name is. Right? There's the great scene in that movie where they get called in, um, and there's the two Bobs who are kind of the external reviewers, and the two Bobs have to ask people, because they don't know any of these people, what, it is, what is it that you would say you do here? Okay. Those are people who don't care about you, and you know it. And that totally changes how you think about your job and all the hours that you spend at your job. But Paul doesn't talk to them in that way. He says, he says, my brothers, whom I love and long for, when I'm away, I want to see you again. My joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. If somebody like that asks you to do something, right? If you've ever known somebody, you know, it's like my dad, when he was in the, he was in the army, you know, he said there was a guy, I, he said I would follow him to hell and back. If he asked me to go there, I would go there with him. You can ask hard things of people if they know that you love them and have the very best in mind for them. I think about that that a lot when I think about my kids because raising my kids to be Christians is like, at this point, kind of a hard thing to ask of them. But I need to. I need to ask that of them. And I'm going to do that, and they're going to know that I love them. 
and that what I'm asking them to do and the way that I'm teaching them to live is the very best thing for them. Be imitators of me. Let's finish up with 1 Thessalonians 1. We got about four or five minutes. I'm going to end on time. I know this place runs like a well-oiled machine. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of amazing, so I don't want to mess that up. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10. The Thessalonians are worried because people have come in, again, more false teaching, and they've, some people have been saying that the resurrection already happened, so some of the Thessalonians wonder, like, maybe I'm not really a Christian or nobody actually cares about me. Uh, maybe I've been left behind and the Lord has forgotten me. That's 1 Thessalonians 1. And Paul says at verse 6, And you became imitators of us, that's Paul and Timothy, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, in spite of the hardest thing that could be asked of you, in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became, see how the imitator becomes, an example Right there in verse 7, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Those are provinces, so that's like, I don't know, that's like Illinois and Wisconsin or something. Whatever, I don't know. I'm not, don't hold me responsible for that reference. (laughs) For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. So you see how the imitators imitated the one who taught them the ways in Christ, and now the word of the Lord has gone forth from Paul to them, and now from them out into, he's going to say, not only the surrounding area, but in every place your faith in God has become known. Your congregation has become famous because the Lord's word has gone forth from it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how, this goes back to the ways in Christ, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. It's always fresh because that God is always living. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us, who saves us from the wrath that is coming. He leads off the letter that way because when he writes to them, he wants them to know that who they are and the way that they've been going is good. He wants to affirm them in everything that's good, and he always starts out this way, except with the Galatians, about whom he's so upset he doesn't give thanks. Everybody else, he stops first, and he says, thank God that you are Christians. Thank God that you have believed his gospel and your love has gone forth among each other, and into the whole world. And then he always asks something of them. I mean, whether it's money or something like you have to give up this or you have to do that. He always asks something of them, but the church can survive in any environment by virtue of following these ways in Christ, which they know not as just a set of doctrines listed on a page, but in the man who teaches them the faith. And you can take that home, not just for a church, but for a family. You guys have questions. You have like one minute. So this (laughs) has to be a good question. I don't want to be the cause of trouble. Any questions? No. Well, I I front-loaded this. Yeah, you can't ask any questions. David, come on up. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you.